You're listening to the Soakin' Community Podcast. Your favorite source for gaming, film, and internet debate starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soakin' Podcast. I'm your host, T, and with me are both Jace and Leo. Hi, I'm Jace. Oh, crap. I meant to say Grayson. Jace Grayson. And hello, I'm Leo. We had a bit of a rough go of it this year, or this season, I get well, okay. Rough year, also a rough season. We've kind of been in and out, but we did get all three of us back for the season finale. So, multitude of absences aside, how do you guys think the season's gone so far? I mean, it was good. We did good. I thought we did really great. So far, it seems weird since we're on the finale because it makes it seem like there's more. But I guess whatever we say today is up to this point so far. Whatever. Um, good job, everyone. I think we did well. Good season. I concur. Um, especially me because I'm awesome and I've been fantastic. The rest of you have been pretty good. Um, you know, no, nothing. I'm not taking anything away from y'all. Um, but I have been especially fantastic. Um, I'm also really excited about this particular episode because we're talking about some, some really exciting stuff. Um, I'm not always on like totally in tune with the stuff we're talking about because a lot of it's just outside my wheelhouse of fun, but tonight's, mm, it's my jam. Honestly, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I pushed so that we could talk about Baldur's Gate. It was one of the topics I was like super excited about and it's on the list. I mean, it's, it's on only a year out. It Might as well talk good. about it now. Okay, but like now I can pretend that the 30 <laughs> hours I've spent playing the game were research and not just me <laughs> screwing around in my spare time. So. That's how you know you love it. 20 hours of content T has spent 30 hours in. <laughs> <laughs> Counterpoint, I'm just really bad at the game. So you just, I wouldn't be able to last for many hours if I wasn't good at something. If I die two or three times, I'm out. But anyway, we do have other things to talk about this evening, um, including the finales of, or not finales, but seasons of two different shows. Um, some very different in tone ones, but ones that we all seem to be pretty excited about. We're also going to be talking about The Boys, season two, and the end of Shit's Creek. Do you have to bleep Shit's Creek? Whenever we I say Shit's Creek, it'd be funny. Because we're going to say Shit's Creek a lot. Right. It's not a bad word. We get to keep we get to keep saying shit because shit in Shit's Creek is someone's name. It's spelled weird, so it makes there's it. There's okay. a there's a C and a second T in it, and that's what makes it okay. Shit's Creek. Alright. Well, if you haven't watched either of these, uh, the finale of Shit's Creek or season two of The Boys, or if you're trying to go completely blind into Baldur's Gate three, spoilers abound in the content to follow. Way back in February, Larian Studios, developers of the Divinity franchise, released an official cinematic trailer for the long-awaited third title to the D&D solo game that had fans raving, Baldur's Gate. It's been 
pretty much 20 years since the last Baldur's Gate title, and a lot of gamers are skeptical about the content being released, especially since the game technically isn't actually out yet. On October 6th of this year, Larian Studios put up the first chapter of Baldur's Gate 3 as an alpha test, so the full game isn't actually released yet. That said, you can buy and play the alpha version of the first chapter right now on Steam, Stadia, and GOG.com, but is it fair to pay a AAA price for just the alpha of a full game? Especially when that game is an RPG focused on story building, and there's not a whole lot you can do in one act. I think um, this to me isn't taking advantage of people. Um, this to me is a developer putting out like an incomplete game with like full knowledge to everyone that this is an incomplete game and a lot of people stepping in and choosing to basically pre-purchase and beta test this game for them and i don't i don't have any problem with it i'm not going to do it but i don't have a problem with a company offering it and other people doing it I'm not going to do it either, and I think that I kind of do have a problem with it. It's not necessarily a moral problem. I don't think it's shady business practices. I mean, they, they were very forthcoming about what was going on, so people are making the choice to, to do what they want to do. But I do hate, just on principle, that we're in a place in the video game zeitgeist culture, whatever you want to call it, that putting out an unfinished game for money is pretty standard practice the early access games in general piss me off because i don't necessarily i mean i get it i get kickstarters way better like if you see an idea a notion you want to invest and fund the development that's great and this is i guess a distinction that's just a very slight shade differently different but to me i'm not happy <laughs> myself for sure i've already said i'm not gonna do it but i just don't like that that we're at that place now where developers feel okay with putting something out that's not done and saying pay me for something that's not done and then i'll finish it for you i just don't like it well what's different in this case then to you than like a kickstarter a kickstarter starter is more of um say a investment opportunity perhaps i mean obviously the 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 kickback you get for your investment is a game that you want to play and part of it is certainly a distinction that is not it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but it, it does irritate it's it's the difference between selling an idea selling hey i want to develop this i don't have the money funds to do it where that's not where we're at i think that that when a big triple a company or even a double a or a company does it it's really not about funding somebody's idea which is kind of the the, the premise behind kickstarter kickstarter it's really more we don't want to put our company at great risk developing this so you need to fund it alongside of us and i just don't like that attitude of that culture that that developers have it's it's prevalent it's everywhere i mean how many early access games are on steam right now but on principle i won't buy an early access game i just don't care for it that's fair i i tend to avoid early access games as well um mostly for just the propensity of um undelivered promises and abandonware like i'm <clears throat> i'm i'm not interested in you know funding a developer that isn't going to finish a product that i'm 
that I'm interested in. But Larian seems like like they're not quite triple A, um, but they're not an untested developer. So I don't know. I kind of see them as an in between. Um, I would like I, I think I would be angry about this if this was let's say Bioware um, developing this um, Baldur's Gate because they have attained that I don't know I'm not even sure what AAA means like how, how do you like what 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 goalposts do you have to pass to get to AAA I don't know but Bioware seems to be one of the big companies now and I would dislike this I think if Bioware was doing it but because it's not Bioware I don't know maybe I'm giving them a pass but this seems like an um, a pre-order with with a benefit like with the um added bonus of being able to play early yeah and i will say too i mean i i I see your point i recognize it it's fair i don't like to beta test either so there have been times over my life where i didn't pay Shit's creek (laughs) where i didn't pay anything um and i still wouldn't do it i I have and I've, i've learned that i hate it I don't sure. like to test people's games. It's just not fun for right. me, even if they let me do it for free. And in this situation, it feels like, or, or in these situations, I want to—I don't want to put it all on Larian because they didn't come up with this. This is this is ongoing, and it's really the, the bigger problem, that much more than I have with Larian specifically. But I'm, I don't feel good about paying to help them test their game. Like, why don't you pay me if I'm going to be testing, being a tester for your game? Right. I. I agree with you and i think our perspective is born of decades of gaming yeah 100 we're, we're significantly older <laughs> <laughs> but listen we, guys this game has been in development almost as long as i've been alive <laughs> but we've ouch yeah yeah truth be told though like we've we've seen this happen a lot and mm-hmm. i've I have volunteered to beta test games in the past and I'm I'm in the same spot. I'm I'm just I'm tired of doing it. Um however, <laughs> like there are a lot of gamers that are not as seasoned <laughs> and jaded as I am. And, no, or me. I mean, honestly, you, if you see those beta tests coming out, people jump all over them and they're yeah. clamoring for beta keys. And I don't even I don't want to. Literally same. don't want to do. Yeah. I, I remember a time when I thought, oh, I could be a beta tester and gaming companies will pay me. And oh man. <laughs> if they pay me, I'm down. Hell yeah. So it is worth noting that the those who have purchased the alpha access to the game will still get the full game at its actual release. Um, do you feel that this is any different from pre-ordering with advanced access? If you're, in a way, if you're testing the game and providing feedback for them to make the game better, it's a little different than just having advanced access. Again, we're talking about semantics here because when you have early access to a game, in my opinion, they're using you to stress test their server or stress test their their build, whatever. There's there's not a lot of light between those two things to squeeze through, and I get that. But you know, I mean, here, here's my thing. I don't. 
if I pay for Baldur's Gate right now, I want to play Baldur's Gate right now. And if I want to play Baldur's Gate right now, I want to do it all. I don't want to just get through a chapter or an act and then have to sit for months. I'll tell you something, a few months from now, I'm going to be on something else and I won't remember. And then I'll have to play, I'll have to start over anyway, because my mind has already forgotten the whole intricacies of the story. I just, I want to buy a game and then play it all the way through. It's the same way I felt about, uh, what's that game where you, you fall in the water and you have to build a spaceship to get off the planet? You know that game? Subnautica? <laughs> Subnautica, that's it. Like that game, it, it was intriguing to me from the whole time it was being developed, but it was in early access forever. I never bought the thing. I waited until they said, okay, the game is now complete. I bought it, I played it, and I loved it. That's how I want to play a game is, is just log in or sign in, whatever you do, and play it through and then kind of pack it up and, and put it away. Yeah, I do think... Um... I agree that the developers are certainly, um, I don't know, using with quotes around it, the, the quote, early access buyers of the game. <clears throat> they are beta testers, um, for, or alpha testers for lack of a better term. Um, but I think I, the thing that forgives it in, in my head is that, um, nobody is being taken for a ride everyone involved in this transaction knows what they're doing and the players who are quote pre-ordering and quote testing this game um for larian are are in the know like there's there's no mystery around it there, nobody misled anyone this this was clear from the very beginning and that to me um, it it relieves a lot of what would be uh, some potential resentment or some potential issue. Um, I, like I said, I'm I'm totally with you, Jace. I'm not gonna quote pre-order this. I'm not gonna pay what is it, sixty bucks, um, to beta test this game because I'm I'm in the same boat. Perhaps it is again our advanced years, but I will not remember. <laughs> A year from now, <laughs> when this game actually comes out, I'm not going to remember chapter one <laughs> that I did. I mean, I there's no way. Technically, you'd have to start over anyway because the uh, they're going to wipe the pre-access saves. Ah, well, good for them. When the game um, comes out, so you can't like break your way through the game. With I, don't the, know. That's, I mean, that's good. Save. Well, well, and the truth is some, some fundamental things are likely to change as well. Um, so that only makes sense. And I was um, in, in a previous episode, I was doing a little bit of research for another game. And it was actually really interesting listening to the developers talk about how games are developed and how, um, how unfair it is for them to put out even like a year early, like um, demos of the game because they're saying like fundamental aspects of this are going to change um because yeah. as as they play the game like the understanding of what mechanics might be op what mechanics might be underpowered what what um just gameplay elements just don't fit are going to have to be changed yeah. and they're going to wipe everything and it, it just changes even some fundamental aspects of games that people like so I, I don't know how wise it was doing this, but if it is successful for Larian to do this, I think we can we can expect more of it. It's just what like what other industry on the planet 
can you think where this would be an okay thing if you if you buy a book and you just get to get the first couple chapters that might change later in the plot might change if you there's, if you buy a ticket to a movie and you, this is before we've done post production so there's no effects but you get to see the story before anybody else if you buy a bicycle and you just get one just wheel and no handlebars hold, hold on hold on David <laughs> online publishing um, I I'd actually heard that. Um, there are writers who will put out the first couple chapters in order to try and garner interest and to see if it's something that people are willing to pay for. And then people will pre-buy the rest of the book for that writer. That's what focus groups are for. I mean, I guess if well, you want to yeah, put that's focus kind of what groups this is, into though, the right? ether. But I just think that's lame. If if get a publisher, there are publishing companies that are, are, are put out a product and sell a product. I just don't like... I just don't like paying for someone else to develop something. No, develop it first, and then you may have my money. It's, it's a crotchety old man way to be, but it's how I am. I will say, let me say this. One of the reasons is because I have gotten burned in my life. Uh, I will say two words, and then we may move on. Star Citizen. All right. Well, let's talk about story. So the story so far, as we've gotten from the opening cinematic... Um, is that the Mind Flayers, which are also known as Clifids, are back and are stealing people to turn them into more Mind Flayers. You know, as one does. Meanwhile, the Githyanki are running around riding dragons, and it seems like everyone else is just kind of caught in the crossfire. What kind of story are you expecting to see play out here? First of all, let me say, the opening cinematic is awesome. Um, it was engaging and there were little moments where you're like Ooh, what, what was that about what does that mean and how does that relate to what i'm seeing um like you see the mind flayer <clears throat> uh, as he's uh after he put the little tadpole thing in that poor um get the yankee lady's eye and then he puts it in your character's eye he like floats back out and he sees a dead mind flare on the on the floor and then he like kind of closes his eyes briefly and keeps going like what was that what's that about like that's got to be something <laughs> like there's there's so many little things in this that makes me think this is going to be an awesome Baldur's Gate story which I'm I'm really excited about um the Githyanki are also a fascinating race um previously enslaved by mind flares developed a resistance to their um psionic or not psionic but they're like mind control powers and are now riding dragons to fight them oh fascinating i suspect we're gonna see a number of different factions all fighting for control of something um and it's all going down in baldur's gate and your player is the center of it and if it is baldur's gate style you will get to choose a faction or potentially multiple factions to side with against the others and help guide the direction of, of the world which I'm I'm stoked I just want another messiah story I like the old school you're the chosen one save you're of the of the world type tales I know it's trophy I know it's cliche but I like it I will also agree that the opening cinematic was pretty BA just really really fun to watch and, and engaging I, I am very excited to play the game and maybe part of my irritation with prepaying or prepaying for an alpha test is because 
I just want to pay for it and play it. I want to get through. I want to get to the story. I want to see what's how it will unfold and how deep it'll go. And um, in, in terms of playstyle, it's it's like uh, Original Sin 2, which I very much loved playing. Um, I, I just I just want to play it. I'm also very excited about the story and a fan of the franchise. I'm a fan of the franchise, and in addition to that, I'm a fan of the developer, Larian Studios. The, um, uh, oh no, D- Divinity Original Sin 2. I, I flaked on the name. Um, Jason and I and, and a couple of friends have actually played that co-op and um, have played it online together. And not only is it just an amazing game with um, the story, but it's also really good mechanically. The, yes like using the environment to your advantage and then the addition of multiplayer in a in a game like that like that's that's amazing and they've they're only going to do better because they've learned important lessons and they've hopefully they've cut out the fat that was you know the the bad stuff about um dos and dos 2 Oh, DOS. I'm so old, I thought you meant like DOS the computer language. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jeez, right. Louise, I was not with you. I want to know what that giant um, space squid that comes down and wrecks the town is. Is that I, I'm not real uh, real knowledgeable about D&D lore at all. It's just, I don't know much about it um, beyond what I have played in a couple of different games. But is that something that we know about, that giant space squid? Yeah, it's it's like a Mind Flayer kind of standard ship. I, it's a called nautil- a nautiloid. Nautiloid, yeah. Um, and they they use their powers like to be able to teleport them and to even like interdimensionally travel with them. Like you nice. kind of see that in the trailer. Well, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the cinematic. I want to play the game. Oh, I will say too, um, as a huge Game of Thrones fan dragon riding i mean i've wanted a game where you can ride dragons i hope that we get to to have a dragon i don't know how that would work in like a you have a top down i do i really do like dragon riding but it's a reasonable one (laughs) it's reasonable if i could be in any universe anyways moving on oh yeah there is a lot about the story that is still unfolding and i'm sure there's plenty of different side quests and things that we haven't even had a chance to discover yet um Overall, the generalized plot from what little bit I've been able to glean, because again, I've been mostly running around figuring out what I can do with the environment and uh, getting myself stuck in the Underdark, um, is that your character is one of several who were abducted by this Alithid Mind Flare. Um, You are implanted with a tadpole, which is the thing that they put in your eye. And usually what happens is that that tadpole begins a change that turns that person into a mind flayer. And it's like described as this very horrible process um, that takes place over the span of several days, etc. Yeah, it eats your brain. Um, yeah, and then you join the Illithid hive mind and that's like... Ooh, like the Borg? Yeah, it's like how they reproduce. And then, you know, you get like face tentacles and stuff and you eat brains. That's- that's very like the work. So it's like the nanites that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so your character was just kind of going about their day, got kidnapped. Now there's a tadpole in their eye. And you somehow survive the crashing of the Nautiloid ship. And you find out that there are other people like you. And you go, oh no, we don't want to become evil mind flayers. We need a healer. Quick, to Baldur's Gate. Except, of course, it's not that easy. But it also turns out that you have more time than you realize. Because for whatever reason, your tadpole isn't eating your brain. 
In fact, it seems to be giving you an advantage, allowing you to manipulate the minds of those around you. Chosen one. It uh, definitely seems to be coming with a cost, and it has some other hidden side benefits that are showing up in your companions. And you're also starting to hear from this person called the Absolute. I hope it's not a chosen one story. I'm, I'm so, I'm so averse to that. I want to be, I want to be normal, and you rise to the occasion. I want to be a chosen one, and I want to ride a dragon. I wanted to ride a dragon in Elder Scrolls Online, but Leah wouldn't let me. I just want to be a purple tiefling. And this game is letting me do that. (laughs) The lore lets T do that. And the lore forbids (laughs) Cademan from having ridden a dragon. It could happen. Alright. Baldur's Gate 3's full release has not yet been announced. um, Though they have estimated it'll be about a year at least before the the final launch. But a lot of our fellow Sokanites are pretty hesitant to pay retail prices until everything is put together and out there. For those of you who have picked up the alpha, shoot us a tweet at Soaking Gaming and let us know how you're enjoying it so far. For example, have you fallen into the same trap that so many of the alpha players have and just recreated the basic Vault Dweller? Or have you made something a little more interesting, like a purple tiefel? For those of you waiting, well, you'll have plenty of time to consider how best to assemble your party. Let's venture forth. Now let's talk about the show that's been sweeping Canadian airwaves for six years strong, Bits Creek. No need to check your explicit rating, that's S-C-H-I-T-T shit, which is the name of a character rolled in shit. Yeah, it's that kind of show. Eugene Levy of 80s comedy fame and his son Dan Levy created the show that aired in 2015 on CBC, and it just this year wrapped up its sixth and final season. Spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen the show yet, we strongly recommend it. Shit's Creek ended with something a lot of shows these days don't get. Mostly because most ongoing shows right now have devolved into just being about getting money out of it, but I digress. It got a happy ending. How do you guys feel about the heartwarming presence the show has had in an otherwise drama-ridden television market lately? I mean, I feel good about it. I feel great. I love Schitt's Creek. The The whole point of the show, w- when you watch the creators talk about it, the whole point of the show is joy and just to inject joy into the world. And I really feel like that's what that show does. So I feel good about it. I feel good about the happy ending. There, You know, there was some bittersweetness to the ending. It's not like everything got perfectly tied up with a bow. Um, there was a little bit of pain and hurt at the end which i think is good when you're ending a show you want it to feel you want to have that sense of um completion but also you know if it's too happy it doesn't it just gives you a saccharine bad taste in your mouth and this i thought struck a good balance between a happy ending and a little bit of a reality to push people forward so that we're not in our heads they're not just all still hanging out at uh, cafe tropical <laughs> they've all moved on they've got lives now and they're living in them it's like when the robots tried to make a perfect matrix for humanity to live in. We rejected it mm-hmm. we because it was it. it was too happy. We didn't believe it. Um. So, Shit's Creek was actually recommended to me by a couple of nerds in this podcast, and I thought, oh, okay, 
I'll give it a shot. And I fell in love with it in the first episode and kept watching it. And I wanted to finish the series before we did this um, podcast because I knew we were going to talk about it. It's too much of a cultural phenomenon. It's too much of a, um, I don't know. We've got too many fans um, to not have it be part of the show. But what happened was my wife saw me watching it and was like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> so I told her. She's like, oh, I'd, I'd be interested. And so she caught up to where I was. And then both my daughters <laughs> were also interested in watching it. And it became family night for us <laughs> to watch Schitt's Creek <laughs> of, all, of all shows. Um, in <laughs> fact, my youngest is watching the last episode my wife and I watched right now as we're recording this episode. Um, so I have enjoyed the joy uh, of the show and have... Um, it, it has been a wonderful distraction from, you know, some of the, some of the realities we're facing now, um, as well as we're going to be talking about the boys and it is, it is so polar opposite of the boys in terms of just being heartwarming and <laughs> yeah, joyful. You couldn't get much different. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I like, I'm enjoying watching it with my family. Like it's so good. I dig it. I, I I said I have said this multiple times. No, I'm I'm notorious for saying it's my favorite. Whatever the last thing I have done or touched or eaten, touched, I say it's my favorite, and people make fun of me for it. But I think that this, because of the the happiness and the joy and the good and and the you know looking forward to the final season, I think this might be my favorite show. Not necessarily the best best story or the best best written, even though it is very well written. It just probably, in terms of just a good feeling, might be my favorite show that that I've ever watched. Let me say, I don't say this is my favorite a lot, and this might be one of my favorite shows because I think also, yes, it's heartwarming, but it is it is so well written every line has usually two meanings to it um and intentionally two meanings like everything is it's it's just so witty and it's so sharp it's not tv you find um often uh, and especially you don't find uh that is so i don't know like it like so many talented and creative people have been a part of it to make it the success that it is um other other properties need to take note like this is how this stuff is done another shocking thing about it is the sitcoms have a tendency to caricaturize their characters so you start out with joey being mildly dumb at the first season of friends and by the end he's just a blithering moron who doesn't know how to tie his own shoes they 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 just get so far and above what where they started now this show's not as long running as something like friends it only has six seasons rather than 10 but what what i found remarkable was these characters started out pretty outlandish but they were somehow at the same time very grounded humans you could feel the humanity even though they kind of started 
in almost a caricature phase. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it was just so well done. It didn't take you out of the show or pull you out of the moment and think, mm, I don't think so. It it really felt human and genuine. I think the most remarkable part about that though is that the characters were so far away from what would be a typical audience member, like these billionaires like, who've been so detached from humanity. Yet I still found them relatable. Like yeah. it was it was weird. <laughs> it's so well done. Sitcom endings tend to be divisive in fan bases. Do you guys feel satisfied with the ending that you got? I do, yes. Um I did I did spoil. <laughs> I did I read ahead. Um and I I've I've got the last episode and I watched like even the wrapping up video on um netflix that our producer sill recommended um who by the way <laughs> when he said he watched it uh i think i think he used the term it broke him and i thought Ugh, like you get too attached to your tv shows and then <laughs> i watched it and i think i teared up like three times <laughs> yeah no when i watched me and nathan watched that that kind of whatever that is that wrap-up show on netflix about it and we were both just sobbing messes yeah uh it's so good i still so i i retract my 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 judgment um because it was very good um i feel like i just have to plug in here like we all know leo right i kind of feel like we're in the final scene of the grinch where his heart grew three sizes nope. that day nope <laughs> nope <laughs> i think so i see it beating big <laughs> chest. nonsense um i saw media that i liked that's all <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I thought the ending was good. In fact, the, the show had a story to tell and it told it. And I love it when shows do that. Um, it's when shows do the opposite and they realize they're popular. And so they tack on nonsense just to extend the story that I, I take issue with this. It was, it was perfectly done there was a story to tell the characters got their growth without fundamentally changing them and then we got the conclusion that wasn't a you know decisive conclusion everybody kind of like they have their lives to live now um and i don't know that it's so well done i loved it what oh, to me and i'm gonna i'm gonna try not to get too terribly deep here but what i loved about the ending <clears throat> was that it It really was not at all the ending. It really was the beginning of those characters' lives. They they had this period of time in Schitt's Creek that they sort of cocooned. And these broken, disparate, unconnected, kind of calloused humans grew and got better. Now, as he said, they did not fundamentally change, which I don't know how they did that. They still are just as cynical in some ways and above it in some ways but but so remarkably human but then at the end of the show they're able to go out and now really live a life as families do because you know you don't always stay with your family you don't always stay in this in your mom and dad's house you go off and you do your thing everybody has a life now whereas they were kind of stunted before you know in the backstory of the show they, they've got all got launching pads now which is i, I can't even though you know, in some ways, you don't want the crew to break up. You want everybody to stay together forever because that's the the essence of the show, right? 
they're not all together anymore at the end of the of the series but that's great because that's how how humans are supposed to do yeah the kids are supposed to go out and make their own lives and that's that's what we see that's ideal but even though they're separate they're more connected to each other than they ever have been in their lives even in that 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 growing for sure part that the departure from the nest i think even like their ability to say i love you to each other yeah like that was really touching like they couldn't do it at first and then as they grew through the seasons like it became normal for them that was that was something it's impossible to talk about Schitt's Creek without talking about representation. Between Catherine O'Hara's Moira Rose becoming a gay icon and Dan Levy and Noah Reed's David and Patrick, respectively, having a gay marriage in the finale, the show is riddled with LGBTQ plus friendly material. Do you think the series did as good a job of representing without making it feel like a lesson, as Levy put it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... One of the, I don't know how to say all of this without being incredibly controversial or putting people off, but one of the problems with my community, the LGBTQ plus community, is the segregation that we have continued to perpetuate. Um, now, I understand why it happened. I understand the history of, you know, Stonewall and I, like, I get it. There's people insulate when they're afraid to be hurt, but in some ways, it makes it difficult then to reintegrate because now, you know, there's a lot more. I just read a statistic that like 70% of the United States is, is all for gay marriage now, which is huge. That's like in my lifetime, that, that number has flip-flopped from the other way. But if you just kind of inject representative representatives of, of cultures into normal everyday life, to me, that is the ideal. It shouldn't be a big deal that someone is different or gay or you know a different race they, they should just be able to come into a any community and live alongside without there having to be commentary without there having to be judgment without there having to be justification just all exist kind of coexist together and really that was that was um dan's vision he didn't want there to be he in in the universe of Shit's creek he specifically decided not to allow homophobia to exist it's not even there it's not even in the lexicon so they don't have gay characters that have to deal with that same kind of tropey, oh God, somebody got AIDS. Oh God, my parents disowned me. Oh God, I have to come out. Like there's not really a whole lot of that stuff. Now there's a little bit of a coming out story, but it's not like anyone you've ever seen because it's like, no, that's not at all what we're upset about. <laughs> no, you're missing the point. So yes, it he, he did probably, in my opinion, the best, and I've seen a lot of, of gay media, a lot. <laughs> He probably did the best job of anyone I've ever seen doing it without making it preachy and without making it feel like, you know, I'm I'm putting a big pink sticker on this guy's forehead so that everybody knows that there's a gay guy present. Let me let me say um, before I get into this, I've probably seen less gay media than Jace has. Um, clothed or unclothed, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, this is also, um, as has been said a number of times, we've talked about things. This is outside my wheelhouse. This is not my community. This is not anything I've ever had to deal with. However, I agree a hundred percent with Dan Levy. Um, when he talked about, um, when I, I watched that Netflix 
you know, after the series special. Um, and he talked about the fact that this is about representation without making it feel like a lesson or without making it preachy or without making it heavy handed because, um, those things have a tendency to turn people off. Um, those things have a tendency to make people resistant to whatever the message is you're trying to get out. And I think, um, Schitt's Creek is one of the, the, one of the best examples I've ever seen of simply making the fact that a character or multiple characters are gay or are bisexual or are pansexual or are, are you know, in the LGBTQ, I don't know all the letters. Um, well, we add one every couple months, so <laughs> you have to make sure to make the meetings or you don't get to vote. I've, I've never been to one of them, so I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately <laughs> way out of the loop. You have to pay attention to the agenda. Okay, <laughs> I, I apologize. <laughs> Um, I'm, I count on Jace to fill me in on the letters. Um, but the, the whole idea that it's, it's simply an aspect of life as opposed to the defining element of it. That's what I liked the most. Um, David is one of my favorite characters, uh, in Schitt's Creek and he is more than a pansexual. Like there's so much more to him. That was just an element of who he was. And that's what I liked the most about it is that he was more than that. And that normalized the fact that he was pansexual. And that I think is how that message is best expressed um, to, to the masses, especially to masses like me, because I, like I'm not, I'm not in a club, and so normalizing it means just making it a normal aspect of a person's reality. I've got all kinds of aspects to me, and that is just one aspect of David, the character. Like that's how it's done. It was it was brilliantly done. Final question: Which one was your favorite character, and why? I thought about this a lot. I wanted to say David, um, but I think David is a remarkably popular character. And so I wanted to go against the grain and I chose Patrick. Um, Patrick who ends up marrying David is my favorite character thus far. I haven't finished all six seasons. However, I have gotten past the point where David kisses Patrick and they develop a relationship. And Patrick thus far has been a character that is witty and sarcastic. And I absolutely love how uncomfortable he makes David regularly. <laughs> it's so good. And that never stops. It never stops. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think my favorite part is when David kisses him and Patrick is like, thank you for doing that because I wouldn't have. And like, I had these feelings. I didn't know what to do with them. And like, he's, he's just a really thorough character. Um, and he's, he's not, I've, I've joked about the fact that I have 
I, I have broken gaydar. I can never, I don't know. <laughs> I can never, I can never tell. Patrick didn't, he didn't give a gay vibe to me. <laughs> um, and the fact that, I, I don't know if he's bi, I, who knows? I don't, I don't know if that gets talked about later or whatever. But he's, he's a non-stereotypical, very well-rounded and fascinatingly witty character. And I like him a lot. It's so kind. He is so kind. I have a little bit of a mm, hard heart towards him because I'm about 95% convinced my husband would leave me for Patrick. So I can't, <laughs> I can't like him too much. I mean, my um, wife might leave me for him too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's something else. But I'm really, really torn on who my favorite character is. It is tough because every character is just so engaging. Like, uh, probably, I, I mean, it's hard. I don't know. I have to give an honorable mention to Eugene Levy's Johnny Rose just because I don't think there's a human being on the planet who can give just a deadpan, hot face, arched eyebrow. Totally. Like, totally. Mortified reaction without a word, without a sound. There's just very few actors. Uh, B. Arthur was another one who could do it. You knew exactly what the hell was going on in her face, and she would <laughs> yeah. just freeze and look. And I, he can do that unbelievably well. Uh, I have to interrupt, and I, I apologize deeply. I did not know Dan Levy was Eugene Levy's son. And I made a comment to my wife. I was like, it's fascinating that they found an actor that had the same eye eyebrows <laughs> play, <laughs> to play Johnny's son. Okay, so yeah. um, but I'm I'm gonna just be be the cliche and say that Moira's my favorite. <laughs> she is the newest and proudest member of the Gay Icon Club, and she's knocked Gaga off the, the number one site seat. And we we've all voted, and Moira Rose is the the new improved Gay Icon for this 2020 year. So I just have to say, Catherine O'Hare is Moira Rose. I know it's cliche, and I know she's over the top, but literally, I. We, we quote her around my house. She's just got the, the, the best lines. And Catherine O'Hara is hilarious anyway. I just I have to say her, baby. Yeah, I know. She's too much. What is it about Moira Rose? I don't know how we pick our icons, but it's really strange. Like, this is a phenomenon. We don't even... I, I joke about meetings. We don't really have meetings but we somehow all know when one is, even if you grew up in South Texas like I did without uh, being a part of a gay culture, having a gay neighborhood or anything, you still gravitate towards these iconic, usually women, divas, it, like Karen Walker was one, Beyonce, like, it's weird. Olivia Newton-John from back in the day, we somehow just all know she's our, she's our queen. <laughs> we all it's know. like bees. It's like we're bees. <laughs> You've selected your queens. Mm -hmm. All right. All six seasons of Schitt's Creek are currently available on Netflix, as well as a short documentary on the final season. If you're open to heartwarming stories mixed with plenty of comedy and a little bit of some classic sitcom drama, you would love this show. Whether you like the red wine, the white wine, or both. Ever since that first episode dropped on Amazon Prime Video back in July of 2019, The Boys has been a huge hit with comic book fans everywhere. Originally an anti-superhero graphic novel series from 2006, 
The Boys is all about the conglomeration and corporation building of superhero franchises, as well as the evils within all men who hold power. Season 2 recently wrapped up, and we're here to talk about all the nasty, mind-blowing action. Literally. In the finale of Season 2, we saw Ryan, Homelander, and Becca's son, basically annihilated Stormfront, the Nazi superhero that was taking over the Seven, leaving Homelander in a fragile mental state. Well, more fragile than it was before. If that weren't enough, it was revealed that a congresswoman, posing as a human, is actually a soup that can literally make people's heads explode. How do you think all of this, tied with the boys themselves being separated, will lead into season three? I am stoked for season three. Um, let me say, for the record, there aren't a whole lot of shows that I'm excited about and I'm looking forward to. And the boys season three, I am. Season one was awesome, and there was a part of me that thought, oh, maybe it was an anomaly, and season two will be garbage. And then I saw season two, and it was glorious. So I am really excited for season three. I think, obviously, something is going to happen to bring the boys back together, and they're going to go back after soups. And I'm, I can't wait. Um, they're going to have to refill the roster of the seven because the seven is, um, obviously missing a, a member or two. So we'll, we'll get a couple of new superheroes, I think in season three, obviously. In fact, I think that we have confirmation that that, that dude from supernatural is going to be on season three, if I'm not mistaken. So soldier boy. Yeah. yeah. Can soldier boy. Um, I, you know, obviously, I think our big bad now is going to be <clears throat> the Congresswoman soup, whereas Stormfront was kind of our big bad last season. But the big bad really isn't individual characters in 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 the boys. The the big bad is really more of a of the over mind, the the corporatism, and almost even the big bad is the culture that that puts these superheroes on a pedestal when they're just such horrible human beings. Horrible, horrible people. So I imagine that season three is going to be just a deeper exploration of that. Maybe now we've been looking at corporatism a lot um, and maybe now we'll kind of move on to a, a government bashing season where the, the government is in on the, the heinousness. Because, you know, the, the, the theme is power corrupts corporate power corrupts but two you know, government power corrupts as well faux show without getting into too much detail the story already appears to have diverged somewhat from the comics it's based on particularly with one of the soups of the seven black noir in the comics he has a much more convoluted and very messy backstory but in the show he um well he got taken out by an almond joy He's not dead, but he is in very, very bad shape, reminding us all just how very dastardly allergies can be. Purely speculation, but given that the graphic novel has more story elements drawn from early comics, stuff like cloning and nobody ever staying dead for long, do you think the show shying away from stuff like that is actually doing a better job of parodying comic book stories? Or should they be sticking closer to the original material? 
I don't think that they need to stick close to the original material. I think that they need to allow this medium, this iteration, to be what it is, and they're doing a good job of it. So if if they if they veer off that course, that I think that they they get in danger of doing something that wouldn't work, where what they're doing really is working. I will be honest. I I do not and have not ever followed the the graphic novels, the the comic books. It's just I haven't. <laughs> and I will. This isn't my kind of deal. I'm gonna be honest here. This The Boys is not my kind of show. I like it. I have. I enjoy it. But it's freaking diabolical. I think they use that word. Diabolical. <laughs> they use that word to market the show. It is a lot for me to watch. I can't watch multiple episodes in a row because it really does. It makes me feel like it's just flooding my senses a little bit. But no, I don't. I don't think they should try to get into the graphic novel material other than using it for inspiration because of how well it's going and and i think that the creators and showrunners have an idea uh, and it's working so they need to stick to their idea so the the character black noir was um i think a rather fascinating one in that he was a clone of homelander who had all of homelander's abilities but was supposed to keep that to himself until the day came when they needed to take homelander out because let's be honest <laughs> that dude is a loose cannon <laughs> twisted yeah um he they, they Vought obviously needs some leverage over homelander and as the quote superman of that universe there's nobody else who can stand up to him um so the idea of some kind of, um, you know, plan uh, was important. In the show, though, he has a kid. And I don't know if that was a part of the comics, um, but they've changed Black Noir, I think, in an effort to allow this other element, this child of Homelander. And now, um, Homelander's kid, Ryan, is the contingency plan like ryan is the thing vaught now has to hold over homelander because it's ultimately it's not the only thing he cares about but it is one of the few things he cares about his public image is probably the only other thing he he cares about um so vaught needs that kind of contingency plan um but i, I went off topic Keeping it directly related to the comics, I think, is a bad idea. <clears throat> but I do think at least having some connection is important. Character backstories, character links, um, uh, and even uh, like the you know how someone became a soup versus um, just a normal person. I think those things are important. Um, I, I've I've heard a lot of theories and read a lot of rants about how. This character was changed or this character might be this character or you know whatever um and i do think that stuff matters because your source material is important your source material is the thing that motivated this creation so i do think honoring that to some degree is important but if you if you mimic it um, you make the show predictable and that makes the show not as much fun to watch a major element of this show as we mentioned earlier is the mental states of the characters. The entire premise starts because of Billy Butcher and company's desire for vengeance. 
A-Train killing Robin, Billy's belief that Homelander killed his wife Becca, Lamplighter's torching of Mallory's grandchildren, and more are all signs of how violence begets more violence, a never-ending cycle. With Butcher finding out Becca was alive, and then having to watch her die for real right in front of him, you think the fact he protected Ryan and then walked away from Mallory is a sign of evolution? Or do you think he's going to fall back into his classic role of kill them all? 100% kill them all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I think Butcher is Butcher. I think that he he was who he was not because of Becca's first supposed death. I think they gave us plenty of backstory of his his childhood and how his father was and like there's a lot of brokenness inside poor butcher for him to carry on with that um that attitude of kill them all i don't know that he'll i don't know that he'll um be redeemed in that way i don't think we're going to have a different character with a new philosophy on how to deal with the world i think billy butcher is um first of all i love the name <laughs> because you know that's my name um but he is he's a fascinating character in his single-minded um ness he 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 demonstrates certain aspects of humanity um but they are often revealed to be self-serving um and the people who want to believe in his humanity are often disappointed with the exception of his wife um she was able to um, bring out some elements of humanity in him. And in fact, he mentioned it several times. And it was one of the reasons when he decided to kill himself at the end of, I think it was the final episode. Um, and he was like, you need to take Ryan and you need to go and you need to be away from me because if I influence him, like I'm, I'm no good. Like I'm, I'm going to darken him and he was going to have Homelander. Well, he was going to have a face off with Homelander, um, knowing there's, he has, he's, he has no chance. Um, like he is self-aware. He knows what he is. Becca was able to bring about a spark of humanity. Becca's gone now, not only gone once, but twice. And this time he watched it happen. I think he's going to come back worse. Than he was before um i think he's going to come back with a vengeance uh i to me he's going to be one of those i don't know that it'll come back worse i think he's one of those he he's one of those characters that isn't going to change all that much um so jumping comic book universes for a moment batman is a really dark character and one of the themes that has been played with throughout different writings different books is that Batman needs a, a Robin in universe. Batman needs a Robin to balance out his darkness. And mm, yeah. he, it, without when, they, when he doesn't have that, that hopeful kind of ward or protege to, to bring up, then he gets darker and more violent and more sinister. And, and you know, the, the concept of Batman is very dark and sinister. He is a, an avenging angel in a way. So having that, that younger um, kind of protege to, to, to be a light or even be a, a comic relief or you know something to put a little bit of brightness and lightness into that character is important <clears throat> that one of the things that they did multiple times with Billy Butcher was 
allude to the fact that his little brother was that for him and then they make comments about how he looked at huey like he used to look at lenny or and um i i think there was even a line about there being of him being his canary to know when it's too much too dark too dangerous uh when he's crossing right. that line he, yeah. he's kind of the conscience so i think that he'll i think huey will still continue to be that because that feels like a long-term relationship that they're building in that direction for that purpose he's kind of i mean <laughs> different universe different feel different you know tone completely but he's kind of the robin to billy butcher's batman no i, th I think that it is an astute observation i agree um i think huey serves as that for billy but huey left so i think um billy's descent um in fact we saw at the ending of the final episode he gave ryan up for you know to the cia for their protection and so billy's now isolated and on on his own um and huey went to go work for the congresswoman soup who explodes heads and i think billy's going to fall i think he's going to go really really dark i do think it will be up to huey to try and bring him back out of that and i i agree with your robin batman comparison i think that is um actually uh, rather insightful um but i i don't think that's going to happen for a little while and I think Billy Butcher is going to earn the name. He kind of already has. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I love that, man. <laughs> uh, this show is too much. Can we just talk for one minute? Probably to me. The most shocking scene ended up being a fantasy, but I didn't think it was a fantasy when it happened. And it, I literally had my jaw on the ground when at the rally, uh, Homelander lost his cool and laid yes! the whole crowd. I, I was... I thought that was real too. Gasted. It was just the grossest because superhero powers are gross. If you think about how they would really play out, like yeah. there's a reason they don't make a lot of rated R Wolverine movies. Superhero yeah. powers could be hideous. Superman ripping people in half and stuff is gruesome. This show does yes. what it would really look like if people had superpowers. And that moment, you know, we've seen Superman shoot his laser eyes how many times in, in every cartoon, comic book movie, Superman has done that. And it's never just a meat-filled carnage. Right. <laughs> but it's a very controlled. It's at a specific target. It doesn't hurt many people. Like, yes. Right. This was horrendous. And I was appalled. But like, in a, I, I don't know why I like to be appalled by this show, but I do. The other moment where I was just completely grossed out was whenever that poor whale got impaled by the boat. <laughs> I, I do think that's probably like the most interesting aspect of this show is when you have like when you think of superheroes you think of people who have the mental faculties to manage their superpowers in responsible ways most of the time otherwise they're deemed supervillains, and the superheroes fight against them but what if normal people with all of our failings and all of our insecurities and all of our issues what if we suddenly have superpowers that is terrifying and this is an examination of that and i love this show for that 
I don't know about if I love it, but it's definitely a different take. It, it, I would never want it to supplant my Marvel Universe or my Justice League. I just need those things to help me <laughs> be inspired and live my life. But there is a morbid fascination I have with this show. Let's talk a little bit about the real world symbolism this series is all about. The graphic novels and the show alike express a distaste for corporate greed, superheroes as a fad, and the idolization of celebrities. Do you agree with these messages, or do you think that there's more to glean from the show? I think this show had a lot of moments, especially this season. I don't think I noticed it as much in the previous season, but in this season where it was almost just right on the nose what it was trying to say to us about the whole being manipulated by social media about uh, the fascism the, the the dangers of fascism there was a there's just a whole lot that felt like in some moments it wasn't even veiled they were just out out saying this is what's wrong with your society watch the show and understand that i mean it, for the most part yeah i agreed with all that i don't think that it's always dangerous to have necessarily an idol as long as you can temper it with the understanding that people are people and they're always going to have failings and they're going to have, you know, weak moments and do bad things. And that's that's just OK. I guess the word idolization, it has a negative connotation for, for that reason. But, you know, there's a lot of celebrities, I think, who do great things and and are kind of worth looking up to for their philanthropy or for their uh, message messaging, the, the, the way that they have changed culture for the better. There's a lot of of good things to to look up to so i don't know that it's always i don't know that it's always dangerous dangerous is i don't know that's not a word i would use let 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 me preface this by saying let, let's say hypothetically jason and i disagree politically um and we and we disagree about some things in in these schemes um I, I do think some of season two was a little on the nose. It was a little heavy-handed, and it was a little, um, I don't know, like where Schitt's Creek was subtle in its um, portrayal of certain things. Like this was a freight train hitting you head on. Like there was no question about the political messaging uh, with some of the boys season two. I mean, some um, of it was even like shot for shot, frame for frame of real life. And you recognize you're like, I just right. saw this on the news. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I think it was also, um, it, it was, well, it, there were some things while I, I disagreed with the tenor of it. There were a lot of things I think they did really well. Um, and there were some things I think they did even better than some blockbuster variants of the same. For instance, they made fun of some of the corporate, like, girl power propaganda that I think we see in a lot of media. Um, they had the Girls Get It Done campaign, and everyone involved in the campaign was eye-rolling about its, um, how they, it was patronizing and how it was um, insulting to them. Like, they just wanted to do their jobs. Um, and yet it was all about like, oh no, these are the quote girls getting it done. And um, like that to me was a, a representation of like the corporate model of pandering to those sensibilities. Um, 
I think generally people agree with, yeah, girls can get it done. But there's this corporate, um, I don't know, um, machine to try and monopolize on it. And we saw that in things like um, Avengers Endgame. In that scene, in the midst of that insane battle, where like all the females happened to form in a line behind a sunset. And it was like, okay. <laughs> like it, was, it was just so contrived and silly. But the boys, ironically named, did girl power better because they had the scene where uh, the the three ladies, um, Starlight, Queen Maeve, and what is what is her the Kimiko? Um, what's her like super name though? It's like the female of the species, I think. Is they, her... yeah, they literally just called her the female. Yeah, um, beat the crap out of Nazi lady um, <laughs> Stormfront, <laughs> and but it's it's. It's um, it's so visceral, and it makes sense in the story. All those characters are there for a good reason. They didn't just show up out of nowhere to be, you know, the female on screen. Like they were there for a good reason, and it was a good fight. And in fact, during the fight, um, the three dudes who were there were not soups, and they all got their butts kicked, and they like. You know they're they're getting up from having been knocked down, and Frenchie, watching the fight, says, "Oh, whoa! Uh, like girls, girls really do get it done." <laughs> like watching these three beat the crap out of Stormfront, that was a girl power moment, in my uh, layman's opinion. <laughs> I'm not a girl, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but... You didn't tell by the voice, the deep baritone. <laughs> I loved the girl power moment in Marvels, and I it made me squeal like a girl when I saw it. So I absolutely adored it. But I think that there is a difference between a sanitized corporate token moment and an advocacy moment. And one of the problems is people don't know the difference or can't tell the difference, even the people who are putting them together sometimes. And so when you have say the token for instance queen mave was supposed to be the token gay and it was insulting the way it was done i mean not it didn't insult me i'm saying in universe it was insulting to her and to her partner and like that like it was it was obviously they were exploiting her sexuality for the purpose of advocating right you know lgbt rights it was it was yeah. ugly and then i think that happens a lot in in real life in the real world too like whenever you see a commercial that's just somehow all of a sudden <laughs> the rainbow flag flashes from saying that why why it, was that coca-cola a gay commercial i'm just not sure it's uh, it, and I, i'm not opposed to, to representation obviously i'm all for it but it's there is a, a line between being an advocate for something and exploiting that thing for your own agenda your own purpose and i do think that that show that, that the boys really kind of pulled the veil off of that to show how to show that difference because it was exactly right the girls get it done was completely they were exploiting those women to for, for someone else's purpose for someone else's you know profit it reminds me a lot of um the part during season one where they redesigned starlight's outfit yeah yep totally 
I don't know. There's a there's a lot that goes into the show, and a lot of it is little things like that, um, or not so little things, <laughs> really depending on how it's presented. Um, but I really appreciate it, and it's a little weird, like a little bit of cognitive dissonance for me to see that just juxtaposed with like all of the gore and random things that happen in the background, like in the background, girl. That's right up in the foreground. <laughs> I also think though, like those things are like all the gore and all the story, like everything is just an element of, of that world. And that world is, in my opinion, a satire of normal reality. Like Vaught could be, uh, <laughs> uh, let me, let me preface this by saying, um, I don't have any issue with Disney as a corporation, but let's say... <laughs> Let's say Vought is a satire of Disney. They have theme parks and they have superhero movies and they have like, it's, it's, it's Disney. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's Disney, guys. Uh, and, and their efforts to sanitize just awful stuff. Like, I, it seems really, really on the nose to me. But, you know, like all of that stuff goes into it. Life is complicated and all of these things are factors in life. And I think the boys does a really good job of satirizing some of that um, complication. Well, that's why satire works, in my opinion. Satire brings to light that which we often get lost in the fog. Like the nuance that we think is in our everyday lives, satire just kicks that nuance right off the right off the nose, and and you have to come face to face with, hey, wait. Totally. This isn't even a joke. This is real. It's not even it. It's scary sometimes. I, I don't want to get political either, but it's scary sometimes that when it, when satire becomes so almost you can't tell it apart from real life. That's how you know that you're in a very yep. interesting and revolutionary place. And I really think that's why I like this show. It's not gratuitous in any way. Well, I don't want to say in any way. There's some there's some gratuitousness, but it's very well utilized. The gratuitous moments are very well utilized to tell their story and to put out what I think they're trying to put out. A homelander on top of the Chrysler building <laughs> saying, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. It's a little gratuitous. <laughs> yeah, there's there's certainly some moments. Bro, I mean, in the first episode, you like he picks up a dude and just yeets him, and it's like a full minute delay before his body before crashes down into yes. this. <laughs> and everyone's just like, "Wow, that was so cool!" And it's like that guy crumpled the car with the force of his impact. He's definitely dead. Definitely dead. And this, and people just cheer. They love it. The Boys Season 3 has already been greenlit, and shooting is slated to begin in the middle of next year. Unfortunately, because of COVID, shooting large-scale productions like this is difficult, so who knows when it'll actually release. But it will come out eventually. Maybe the Spice Girls will get back together. Either way, we'll cross that bridge when we burn it, and whatever they come up with, it's sure to be diabolical. It's the last tea time of 2020, fellas. Let's spill it. This week's question is, what are you guys most looking forward to over this holiday season? 
last episode we talked a little bit about like what we would be doing for Halloween if it wasn't a plague year, but since we're not going to be back until 2021, might as well go ahead and talk about what we have planned for various other festivities. I mean, let's be honest, the plague is going to color this holiday season as well. It's not like we're going to be visiting the Christmas parades and stuff. I think this is terrible because what I'm most looking forward to has zero to do with the holidays. I'm uh, I'm hesitant to make any plans for the holidays because, you know, I'm worried about a surge. Texas is already, you know, one of the top five states of, of cases in this second or third wave, whatever the hell we're in. Some people just say it's a continuation of the first. I digress. I am looking forward to literally and actually taking real time off work and binge playing Cyberpunk 2077. That's what I'm looking forward to. It seem like a good way to spend the winter break. It really does. Um, Cyberpunk's on my radar too. Um, let me just... Uh, I, I haven't pre-ordered it as is. <laughs> I think we both admitted <laughs> like a refusal to pre-order. Yeah, um, I haven't either. I'll pre-order something if I get some free swag. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm a baby for that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Wait, there's a t-shirt? All right. But I, I haven't, uh, I haven't pre-ordered. I, not yet. I'm, although I'm, I'm impressed by everything I've seen. Um, honestly, the, the thing I'm looking forward to this holiday season is cold weather. Um, I know that seems minor and silly, but I live in Texas, and um, Jason and I both, we, we just don't get a whole lot of cold weather. Today, it dropped to 48 degrees. and <gasps> it's the, It did? Oh, it was glorious. So um, y'all are the, on the other side of that escarpment, so y'all get colder than us by a long shot. Yeah, we're a little north of you guys. Um, but... Um, I, I was, okay, um, my wife and I met when, in, in high school in Houston or the Houston area. I have lived all over the world. Um, my dad was in the army, so I grew up on bases all over the place. I have seen winters in, in the negative degrees, um, with snow and like actual winters <laughs> and I have seen summers of 100 plus degrees um, my wife grew up in Texas and so when we married my first duty station was in Fort Benning in Georgia which is almost like Texas with, re with regards to heat it's just hot there's no real winter like it gets cold and like February <laughs> and so you don't really get to you don't get to see a uh, a winter and I kind of I kind of miss that my wife hasn't really ever seen it and our kids have never seen it either because when I got off active duty uh, we were in Fort Benning and I said hey we could live anywhere we could like the world is our oyster we could live in Italy we could live in Ireland we could move to Japan like we we could go anywhere and she was like yes and she pulled up a map of Texas she was like we could go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> uh, womp, womp. Womp, womp. <laughs> so 
So we moved to Austin and um, we've been here for, and it's like 15 years. It's the longest I've ever lived anywhere. And I'm, I'm jonesing for a winter winter, like a cold snowy winter, like the kind where you could die if you're outside for too long. Like I miss that kind of winter. Um, yeah, but we barely get sweater weather. I know, man. Like I was outside um, putting air in my tires and I got chilly and was kind of shivering. And I got back in my car. My oldest daughter was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> because I was, I was shaking because they don't see cold weather ever. Like they <laughs> they'd never see people react to cold weather. And I was like, I'm cold. I was putting air in the tires. And she was like, please. I walked like 30 feet outside and I was fine. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like it, it's cold and I, I want it colder and I'm looking forward to cold, cold. But, you know, we'll see. I'm looking forward to more updates to Baldur's Gates 3. Oh, amen. And, and another wireless vacuum cleaner. <laughs> tell, tell us that story, too, now that we're, now that we're recording. So, uh, before we started recording, we were doing the usual... Um, joking around as we waited for everyone to, to get settled. Um, and I wound up talking about one of my favorite Christmas gifts that I got one year. Um, I will not say this is my favorite Christmas gift of all time because I did get Dragon Con tickets. Um, but one year my grandmother asked me what my favorite gift had been and she was very disappointed with me when I told her that it was the wireless vacuum cleaner that she had gotten me because this thing was fantastic. I was about to go off to college. Um, and the thing weighs like no more than five pounds. So it's like super lightweight. Um, it, it's a wireless vacuum cleaner and you can just leave it to charge on its little charging port for like an hour and then it's ready to go and I could like vacuum the entire dorm. Um, and I thought it was like the coolest little thing and was so happy to have it because I didn't have to look for a vacuum cleaner. And she was just flabbergasted. I, for one, have never been more appreciative of a 20-year-old, 21-year-old grandmother than I am right now. Okay, at and the time we're... I was at... Oh, oh, actually... Okay, I think I was 18. I guess An 18-year-old grandmother. I, I was 17 or 18. I don't remember which year it was. 17-year-old grandmother. <laughs> Either way, I was very excited by my very practical gift. I tried to make a joke about the fact that you are um, the perfect wife for the clueless husband um, for the rest of your life because that's just, it's like a comic strip joke writing itself. Hey, dear, looky here. I've got you a new vacuum. Happy birthday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Empty get to like, work. It's cordless. Awesome. <laughs> that way you can vacuum under my recliner. Oh. No, that husband would not be happy very long. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. But I, I mean, would keep wife, the vacuum cleaner you know, in divorce, whatever. so like that's what matters. <laughs> I'm I'm progressive. It could be a wife or it could be is there a your partner. Partner. 
It doesn't matter who they are, though. I'm keeping the vacuum cleaner in the divorce. I, I would, too, to be honest. That vacuum cleaner sounds awesome. <laughs> but I'm an old man, and you're not an old lady. You should not be into vacuums at your age. I wouldn't say I'm into vacuums. The fact that you were excited about a cordless vacuum means you're into vacuums. And it is inappropriate for a lady of your age. For old men, yeah, Jace and I, we'd love a cordless vacuum. I mean, yeah, it, no, literally, I've already ordered one since we started talking <laughs> about it. But I'm not joking. That is a legit truth. I Amazon.com to me a new cordless vacuum. It would make my year to have one. But, like, you shouldn't be into them, too. All right, we'll tell you what. Uh, I will trade you my cordless vacuum for your copy of Cyberpunk 2077. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to submit a tea time question for the podcast, or you have your own cordless vacuum cleaner that you would like to share with us, as we are apparently fascinated by them, head on over to SoakingGaming.org slash media and find the submission bar on the right-hand side of the page. As I said earlier, this is the Season 6 finale and the last episode for 2020. We'll be returning with Season 7 in early 2021, so stay tuned. Until then, for more Soaking Media, you can visit us at SoakingGaming.org slash SoakingMedia, follow our Twitter at SoakingGaming, and subscribe to our YouTube, Soaking Gaming Community. And look for future episodes of the podcast on Google Podcasts, iTunes, and now on Spotify. Until next time, I've been T. I've been Jice. I've been Leo. And we'll see you next year. Stay classy, Soaking. for listening to the Sokin Community Podcast. Craving more? Visit us on Twitter and YouTube at Sokin Gaming as well as our website www.sokingaming.com Until next time, stay classy. Right, Jace? <laughs>